If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. We are uh, about four weeks into the story of God as told by Matthew the tax collector. And so we're going to pick up in our story. We just um, read about John the Baptist last week. This was um, Jesus' crazy cousin that came down from the mountain dressed in camel fur and eating locusts and honey and um, calling people to repent for the kingdom is near. So uh, Matthew chapter 3 verse 13 is where we pick up this morning. I'm going to read out of the New American Standard Bible. You'll probably <clears throat> have the NIV behind me or in the, if you have your translation with you. Verse 13, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, uh, said to him, permit it at this time. For in this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Verse 17, and behold, a voice out of the heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The practice of baptism um, goes back much further than Christianity. In fact, the Jewish tradition had this, what they call the ritual of washing uh, the Old Testament uh, scripture uh, tradition is immersed or sprinkled for some of you um, with this practice. Uh, it served as the act of atonement and purification that people would go through. Uh, they would participate in leading up to the holy days. People would go through a cleansing or a washing away of sins. It was a symbolic gesture where you're, you dirty from sin would go into the water and then come out clean. As you offered yourself up to God as, a, as, a, as you confessed your brokenness, as you confessed your sin. And so John was simply offering a tradition or, or practice that was a part of his story. That was a part of the Jewish story of their orthodox for centuries. You see, John was the last Old Testament prophet. And he was calling them to the waters of baptism so that they might be transformed. And John knew that something big was about to happen, that he knew that the kingdom was near. And we know that John was called by God to prepare the way for Jesus, to clear the way for the king to arrive. And he was doing that by offering people to come to the waters and be cleaned and be cleansed from your sin. But Jesus, he confuses John in this moment. He kind of throws him a curveball and says, you know, I, I need to be baptized, John. And John's like, no, wait, wait, wait. I need you to baptize me because I, you, I know that who, who Jesus is and there's no way that I, that I can baptize you, that I need to be baptized by you. Essentially, John is acknowledging that Jesus was the Messiah, that this was the God in flesh. And if that were the case, John would have known that Jesus was without sin and therefore not needing to be baptized into repentance of sin. But Jesus says to John, we must do this to, to fulfill all righteousness. But what is, what is Jesus referring to? Well, he's referring to the Old Testament tradition of washing. Because Jesus came to fulfill the law. And Jesus was taking this old practice and he was creating something new. 
this new creation, this new hope. You see, Jesus wasn't identifying himself as this king bringing judgment. Instead, he was identifying himself with people that were facing judgment. And he was inviting us to be a a part of something bigger. Something that we were all invited to. No more just a Jewish thing. But Jesus was coming for all to receive forgiveness. And so we don't go down to the waters of baptism because we're bad. We go down because God sets us free from our brokenness. And we're all invited into this story. And this new baptism means more now. It's, a, it's part of a bigger story. And we all like stories. We like stories that we can relate to, stories that we can connect to. And this is a story that we're all invited to. That your baptism is the way you connect to the story of God. Your baptism doesn't save you from anything, but it invites you to participate in a bigger story. And it parallels a story from the, from the Old Testament. In, in, in Exodus, we see where the, 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 um, as they escape the, from the slavery of Egypt, they're, they're going, they go into the Red Sea and then they come out of the Red Sea and they're given the law and they're identified as the people of God. And so when you and I, we come to the baptism waters and we come out of the water and we are identified now as children of God. Something totally new, something much bigger. Watch this video. is a naming. That's ultimately baptism is naming someone a child of God. And um, it's... Who's the child of God? Well, I think we're all children of God. And I think baptism acknowledges that. that. And you don't become a child of God when you cross off a list of things to do or even when you are baptized. Baptize, being baptized is simply a naming, an acknowledgement of someone's existing belovedness. I mean, when Jesus was baptized, he didn't only begin to be beloved by God when he was baptized. Um, it, it was an acknowledgement of his eternal belovedness. Well, he was God, but not everybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, but I think it's true for everyone else. Not everybody's <laughs> creating God's image. <laughs> I like that you're playing devil's advocate here. Um, <laughs> but, well, really, I think baptism is, is an acknowledgement of uh, people's belovedness. And when we treat it as that, it's, it's in the Orthodox tradition, it's part of the baptismal service is a renunciation of Satan and his demons and of evil. And the way I kind of look at that and apply that is in bapt- baptism is a renunciation of all those competing voices that try and tell you who you are. Uh, the world says gives you names like screw up, faker, fat, slut, addict. In baptism, you're named beloved. Uh, And then the world, like demons, beckon with rich, powerful, pretty, right. But in baptism, you're told you're beloved and that's enough. Uh, I think everyone wants to be told sort of who they are. And in baptism, we're told... You are a beloved child of God, and we're told to renounce anything that says otherwise. And it's a really, it's, it's a defiant thing to do. I, I look at baptism as defiance, because the world will always try to name us. And in baptism, we say, no, my name is beloved. 
Uh, so whether that happens when you are an infant and you are remembering your baptism as God naming you beloved, or whether it happens as an adult, uh, I think when we look at our baptisms and we think about the significant of our, significance of our baptisms, it's that we are named by God and that that's enough. Good news. It is good news. <laughs> A major theme of the Bible throughout the New Testament and Old Testament is that you and I are God's beloved. And God wants to remind us, uh, each one of us, that how much he loves us. That you are my son and I love you. That you are my daughter and I love you. And so if I could communicate one message with you this morning, it's not that you and I don't love God, but we don't understand just how much God loves us. The story throughout the Bible, my story, your story, as, as humans, we, we are always trying to replace God with something else, whether it's idols or our job, our kids, relationships, hobbies, and then we place our identity in that something else, and that gets all of our time in our life. That defines us, and at the same time, we're always asking the question, is there something more? Is there a purpose to all of this? You and I, you know, what is our life about? We have just one life. And so we wrestle with those questions. Who am I? What does God want from me? What does God want me to do? What is the purpose of my life? And often we come up with three common answers to those questions. First, I am what I do. So look at me, look what I've done, look what I'm involved in, my job, my accomplishments, my, my schedule. As men, it's very easy to, uh, to find our value in our work. We find our worth in the things that we can accomplish. The negative part of that is that we're, we're also defined by our failures then, in our past or our, our addictions. Second answer we come up with is that I am what people say about me. And this is the number one place where we find our identity. What people say about us. Or how many likes I have on Facebook. Or how many followers I have on Instagram. We put so much stock in what others think of us. And, we, and, it, and, and what others, uh, whether or not they like us. We want everyone to like us. And the thought of someone not liking us, it drives us crazy. I recently read a story of a, a very well-known author and speaker. And he goes on to this conference and, 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 he, and, he, and he walks away from it just, just head down. And he's like, man, I was horrible. I, I stunk it up. There's, I mean, I, I blew it there. And, and I, you know, they're never going to invite me back. And so he gets on this plane and he's on the plane. And, and he, he's sitting there and he hears these two guys behind him talking about him. We're talking about this horrible speaker at the conference. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. This is horrible. You know, I've got to hear this. And, and so he kind of turns around and peeks and looks. And they kind of make this like weird look and eye contact. And they quiet down, you know, kind of a thing. And he just goes back to the, and he's just miserable. And he's like, man, I, I gotta, I gotta ask these guys, you know, what I did and what, what, how can I get better? And so the plane stops, he gets off the plane, he waits for them as they um, come off the plane. He stops the guy and says, guys, listen, I know I blew it. I know I was a horrible speaker at the conference. I'm so sorry, but could you give me some, maybe some uh, uh, constructive criticism? Can you tell me how I can be better? And they kind of looked at each other and, and they looked at him. And then one of the guys says, you were at the state farms insurance conference? And in that moment, realized that he was not the guy they were talking about. That it was all a part of his, just this, this doubt that he had in his mind. These guys had no idea who he was, right? 
But we, we constantly are worried about what others think about us. And so we see people talking, and it's like, they're talking about me. I got to be because, right? You know, we're always self-conscious that way. The third way we, we kind of answer this question, we say, I am what I have. So look at my family. Look at my, my business, my house, my health, my, my money. But then sooner or later, life happens, right? You're diagnosed with a life-threatening disease. You lose your job. You go bankrupt. You, you have a divorce. Life is full of these ups and downs and this emotional roller coaster we're on. And we live in this tension of trying to do and do and do and trying to impress. And we're worried about what others think. And we're worried about its success. And God comes along and he gives us this, this different strategy. He comes and he speaks some different words over your life. And it's not about what you do. It's not about what they say. It's not about what you have. It's about who he says you are. And understanding what he says over our lives and who he is. And when we understand the voice of the Father over us, when you get how much he loves you, you can find your identity in being the beloved. And here's something pretty cool. Jesus wrestled with the same identity issues. The next passage in the story Jesus goes into the wilderness right after being named by God and immediately his identity is attacked. The enemy confronts him and says, if you're the son of God, then do this. And Jesus says back, I don't have to do anything. My father has done it. Well, the enemy says, well, then if you are who they say you are, Jesus says, I don't care what they say I am. I know who I am. Don't test me. Enemy says, listen, Jesus, look at all this stuff out here. I can give you, you can have all of this stuff. And Jesus says, I don't need those things. I have someone. And scripture says the enemy left. Jesus understood what it was to have the father's voice speak those words over him. And you and I need to have that same understanding or life will wreck you. Wouldn't it be a, a game changer if you could wake up in the morning with the understanding of how much God loves you? Wouldn't it help you navigate through the ups and downs of life? So when, when criticism comes your way, you can say, God loves me. When rumors in town go around, you say, it doesn't matter, God loves me. When the people at your school say something about you, I don't care. God loves me. This is what matters. Not what you do. Not your business. Not your ministry. Not your coaching. Not your teaching. Not what they say. Not what you have. But that you can look in the mirror and say that I am the beloved of God. And when we understand that God loves us. That his favor is upon us. That he is pleased. No matter the circumstance or the storm. His voice speaks over your life. And Jesus modeled that for us in the wilderness. And again, it's not that you and I don't love God. It's just that we haven't fully comprehended how much he loves us. And so how do we live in this, this idea of the beloved? How do we remember who we are? Well, it's in the story. There was only one miracle that was recorded in all four Gospels. And here it is. Jesus was tired, been preaching all day. 
wanted to get alone, but the crowd had gathered and the, the people were hungry. And Jesus asked, well, what do we do? You know, do we have anything that we can feed them? And they give him some fish and they give him some bread and Jesus does something and he repeats it throughout all four Gospels. Jesus took the bread. Jesus spoke over the bread, blessed it. Then he broke it and then he gave it. On the road to Emmaus, in, in Luke 24, Jesus is walking alongside two of the disciples and they talk about how their, their hearts were burning. And they sit down at the table and Jesus takes the bread, speaks over it, breaks it, and then gives it. At the Last Supper, before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it. And this is a picture of the love Jesus had for us and what he did for us. First, he took the bread. Taken is another form of the word chosen. Jesus was chosen. And Isaiah 63 verse 15 says this. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and glorious habitation. where Where is your zeal? Where is your mighty deeds? The stirring of your heart and your compassion are restrained towards me. For you are our father through Abraham does not know us and Israel does not recognize us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from of old is your name. Why, O Lord, do you cause us to stray from your ways and harden our hearts from fearing you? Return for the sake of your servants and tribes and your heritage. Your holy people possessed your sanctuary for a little while and adversaries have trodden it down. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name, prayer and mercy and help. Chapter 64, verse 1 then. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. At Jesus' baptism, heaven was rended. Heaven was torn open and God descended like a dove. And the Father spoke his voice over his life. And Jesus was chosen before time. And you and I, we were chosen by God. God loved you first. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Before anyone else knew you or loved you or even imagined you, God chose you. And when we get that, we can live it and we can love like it. Walk as chosen people. We find our identity in the fact that you and I were chosen. And then we were were spoken over. We were blessed. At Jesus' baptism, the words were spoken over him that this is my son. God's up there. He's like, guys, angels, quiet down. I got something to say here. Before we go any further, before Jesus does one more thing, I need to remind him of who he is. This is my son whom I love and I am pleased. This is my beloved. Jesus took the words spoken over him at his baptism into the wilderness. And those same words that God spoke over Jesus, he speaks over you and I. And he wants to remind you today that you are the beloved. And it's out of that place that we live in the wilderness. 
Next was broken. We know that on the cross, Jesus was nailed, stabbed with a spear, thorns jammed into his head. And on top of that, all of his friends ran. They abandoned him in the moment. And this is where those in the church and those outside of the church, we're, we're, all, we're all alike here. All of us walk in some form of brokenness. We all experience some form of hurt and pain. And often, it shows up in the greatest form in our relationships. That your family and your friends, uh, that your church, those closest to you often wound you the worst. Something is broken. People will fail you. And Jesus says, that's okay. You are my beloved. So embrace your pain. Own it. Carry your cross. And place all of your brokenness under my cross. I don't know if any of you have ever, ever heard of the uh, ancient art of Kintsuki. Anyone ever heard of that? This is this idea, this art of embracing our damage. I'm put a few images on the screen here for you to see. This dates back to the 5th century where they would take broken pieces of pottery and they would use this, 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 this liquid to mix it with powdered gold or silver or platinum to rejoin the pieces together. Moments in our history are no longer covered up, making brokenness and repair. Do we have those photos? Working on it. Moments in history are not covered up. They're making brokenness and repair a part of our story. That our flaws are no, no longer hidden, but emblazoned with golden significance. Hemingway said this in Farewell to Arms. This is his quote. The world breaks everyone. And afterward, many are strong in the broken places. The world breaks everyone. And afterward, many are strong in the broken places. This is also a, a Buddhist concept of wabi-sabi, if some of you have heard this. Where beauty is found in the imperfections. That the pristine is less beautiful than the broken. That the repair requires transformation. And get this, this is big. The shape of us is not seen until we are broken. Until a wound, like a crack, runs its length. But the shape of us is not seen until we are broken. Until a wound, like a crack, runs its length. When gold is added, it increases its value. There is purpose to your brokenness. When it hurts... When you're broken, God brings purpose and shines a light for all men to see. So we walk in our brokenness. We admit our brokenness. And in your brokenness, you will see his glory. And so our story continues. After he broke the bread, he gave it. And Christ was given as a ransom for many. And God gave us his only son. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit. We are temples for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. Life is not about you. But we display our lives for him. That we've been given for him. And now we are called to go out into the community for him. And to love others. And the great commission 
all, Jesus says that all authority had been given to him. And now I send you. That we've been blessed with everything from God. And the same power that he had, we have through the Holy Spirit. Where lives are transformed. Storms are stopped. Demons shake. And captives are set free. So we go back to the voice that was spoken over us at our baptism. The same voice that was spoken over Jesus at the Jordan River. And, Scott, and God, he, he speaks to you again this morning, reminding you of his love. And Jesus went out into the community to serve. And you were chosen. God spoke over your life. We walk in our brokenness, but then we give back. There are two main sacraments of the church. One is baptism. The other, communion. Both have their symbols. Baptism has the water. If you haven't been baptized yet, you need to be. We'll be down in the waters of Deep Creek this summer, and I want you guys to join us. Communion, it has its symbols. It's the bread and the wine, symbolizing the broken body and the blood that was given as a sacrifice. God participates in both of those. God meets you at the water. And God meets you at the table. I want to invite the, the band to join me as we, we close with this. We're going to take communion as a, as a community. And we're going to worship a little bit and give a chance for you to reflect and respond to, to the message and to God's voice. The song that they're going to sing is called Second Chance by a band called Ren Collective. I want to read you a few of their lyrics. It says this, My future hangs on this. You made preciousness from dust. Please don't stop creating me. Your blood offers the chance to rewind to innocence, reborn perfect as a child. When sin and ugliness collide with redemption's kiss, beauty awakens by romance. Always inside this mess, I have found forgiveness. Mercy infinite as you. Fragment of brokenness. Salvaged by the art of grace. You craft life from our mistakes. Oh, your cross. It changes everything. There my world begins again with you. Your cross, it's where my hope restarts. A second chance is heaven's heart. Countless second chances we've been given at the cross.